With that, take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be there in just a few moments. Um, So I just want to remind you, uh, the book of Hebrews, right? This was written to Hebrew Christians under persecution. A lot of them facing persecution, likely from two sides. One from teachers of the law, right? These are new converts, Hebrew Christians. These were folks that once were fully immersed into Judaism, Right? They, they relied on the law, and they were part of the sacrificial system. And the, the whole book of Hebrews is showing how Christ has come to answer all of that, to fulfill all of that, that Christ is the better Moses, that he is the better temple. Like, we've been going, the, the, the author of Hebrews has been going almost systematically through how Christ fulfills it all. But they're facing persecution, likely from two sides, from the teachers of the law, but then also from the Roman Empire. Last week, Luke helped wrap up chapter 10 and get us into chapter 11, where at the chapter 10, the author of Hebrews is telling these Hebrew Christians to remember these early days. Remember the early days when they first came to faith in Christ, when they were full of zeal. Remember when you first came to Christ? You ever had those, those people in your life where like, they had an encounter with Christ? And they like, I have some family members. I have an uncle in particular who I think about when they came to Christ. Man, that guy was different. Like, not just weird different, like some Christians, but like change different. Where like, I was in darkness, down a path of destruction, with, you know, alcohol, whatever it was. Like, and then now I've been claimed by Jesus, and it was radical. The author of Hebrews is saying, remember those early days when you were full of zeal and love, when it was vibrant and active love. When you were having compassion on those in prison, when, and, and you would joyfully endure persecution, having your things taken from you, the plundering of your property. And they did all of this. Why? How did they do this? How did they have a mindset and a heart set that allowed them to face this persecution and the plundering of their property? It's because of verse 34 in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They knew that what they possessed now in Jesus Christ was a better possession and one that will abide, one that will remain, one that's going to walk with them and be in them from here on out. And then those last verses of chapter 10 are amazing. Verse 36, it says, For we, excuse me, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you might receive what was promised. For yet a little while, this is a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. That's Habakkuk 2. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You see the warnings. Here's more warnings in the book of Hebrews. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their, uh, excuse me, and preserve their souls. And so this is where we were last week, launching us into this conversation about faith, about having faith, about what faith looks like. You get this great quote from Habakkuk 2 that the righteous will live by faith. That's the church of Jesus. We, as the church of Jesus, will live and walk by faith. And when you come to a topic like this, 
when you come to a topic like faith, it's kind of a dangerous thing. You know why? Because it's familiar. <laughs> There's a danger in, in walking into these very Christian, Christian topics like faith, right? Because this is 101 stuff. This is nuts and bolts. This is easy stuff. I already got this, is what our hearts can think. This is for them. This is for all those newbies out there. This isn't, there isn't much in this service for me today, and I just want to caution you in that. Do not fall for that. Don't check out this morning, but open up your hearts to what God might speak to you about you and your faith in him. And so today we're going to dive back into chapter 11. This chapter that is often called the Hall of Faith. There's 16 different names mentioned. We're only going to get into a couple of them today. And actually, we're not even going to unpack all the stories today because I really want to explore deeper this, this idea of faith so that we have a full understanding of it today. But there's 16 different names mentioned in the book of Hebrews for their great accomplishments, the things they did for God by faith. You've got Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. And what's amazing about this list of people, like a lot of these names you know, you know the stories of the Old Testament. What's amazing about this is that they are commended for their faith. It's not their perfection. It's not their sinlessness. They're commended for the faith that they have. And it's mind-blowing. Like, these people are commended. These are men and women of faith. And, and on this list, there are murderers, adulterers, prostitutes, liars, cheats, people who doubted God, laughed at God, and then lied about laughing at him. These people were commended by God because they were people of faith. This is bigger than Christianity 101. This is where it starts and where it stops, folks. This Christian life is a life of faith. And I have a hard time calling this chapter, this I like have a hard time calling this chapter the Hall of Faith. Again, these broken people, even deeply sinful at times, people live their lives, accomplish great things, all the things that God put before them to do, all these that God led them in, they did it all by faith. You hear that phrase 19 different times in the, chap in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at faith and what it is and how we can be a people of true faith. And so, every Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. <clears throat> now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. 
Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Let's pray before we move on. Again, God, uh, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your perfect word. It is perfect. It is true. And I pray that this word would cut into our hearts in such a way that our flesh would become less and less and less, that you would cut out the cancer of our selfish flesh, and God, that the Spirit of God would live within us. We have no hope to live by faith without your Spirit alive in us, God. So please move in us today, I pray. Pray for soft hearts, pray for humble hearts, and I pray, God, for your power to move. Change us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, What is faith? What does it look like? And Luke touched on it last week, and, and he kind of synthesized it towards the end of his message, boiled it down, that it's this way of radical love, this extending of ourselves in a radical, sacrificial way. I think a lot of times when we talk about faith, we overcomplicate it Altogether. And it's easy to do when you have a definition like what we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. You read Hebrews 11, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. We read stuff like that, we go, Ooh, that's good. Ooh, like, oh man. And then you're like, Well, what does it mean? And you're like, No clue. Right? It's like one of those, like, it's like, Ooh, it like, it's a lot of big words. It's conviction. It's, uh, it's assurance. And it's like, okay, but what does this actually mean? We know that faith is the essence of walking with God. That faith is the essence of, of being in Christ Jesus and walking by his spirit. It's the assurance and the confidence that the author of Hebrews has been banging on for chapters now. That we can have full confidence and draw near to the throne of grace because of the person and the work of Jesus. <clears throat> because of his sacrifice of that great high priest. And so I want to boil it down a little bit today uh, and, and just point out a couple elements of faith that I think are important for us to grasp. And one is this. Faith is seeing the unseen. It's seeing something that is not visible. If you look at the Old Testament, and, and, and if, you, if you know anything about uh, the Israelites and, 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 and basically ancient, ancient worlds, is that the God of the Hebrews, Almighty God, the God that we worship, was known as the God who is unseen. Like, all the other nations around, all these other pagan nations, they would fashion gods. They would fashion idols. They would put forth these huge statues or these idols of stone or gold or whatever it was, and they would worship these gods, and they had a visible uh, object to worship. But we know the Ten Commandments. No other gods before me and no graven images. The Hebrew... God was the God who was unseen, the one that we didn't fashion images for. He was the God that they believed in and the God who walked with them and the God who spoke to them in fire and clouds. 
Faith is seeing the unseen. And that happens only by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the living God, the one who is reality. This is not, see, like a lot of times we talk about faith and, and, and people in the world and people in, in the church, we talk about this stuff and, and like we get a bad rap for just being people of faith. Like there's no evidence of faith. Like you guys believe in myths and fairy tales. And I'm like, have you looked around lately? Like, have you looked at the complexity of this world? Have you looked up in a night sky and gone, I don't know where that ends. It goes forever. And I know the one who hung every one of those stars in their place. Have you ever looked at the complexity of the human body? The complexity of our eyeball itself? The create the order to this world that beautifully displays the handiwork of a creator God? Makes me think of Romans chapter 1, verse 19. It says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Right? These are, these are people, uh, it speaks of wrath just before this. People who are rejecting God. But for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. He's revealed it to us. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God has put himself on display. This invisible God, this unseen God, has put himself on display so beautifully in his creation so that we are without excuse. This happens by a powerful work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a person. Assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. Faith is eyes being opened to the beauty and power of Christ in his word. So that's number one, seeing the unseen. Number two, faith is believing the word of God. Duh, right? Again, don't check out on me. <laughs> Get that I'm saying stuff and it's like, of course, yes. The Greek word for faith, right? Pastua, we've talked about this. It's, it's the same word we use for believing throughout the whole book of John. Remember when we were there for over a year? We talked about believing on him, this pastuo, this, that's, that's the root there of, of faith. And the one definition that I kept bringing back to you guys, man, this is not just some sort of mental ascent that I believe that there is a God out there, but it is a God that I can trust. I believe his word, and I cast, this is the definition I kept coming back to from this wonderful lexicon I came across, I cast my life upon it. Like, I have no hope for my life, but I know I can cast my life upon my God and upon his word. Because I have assurance, because I have a conviction that I've seen this unseen God. I have beheld my Jesus, yes, in his word, but also in the things that he has created. And so I believe the word of God. And that word is not just instruction, but it's revelation, right? When we open up the scriptures, whether it's on a Sunday together as a congregation, or whether it's in your bedroom late at night or early in the morning in that nasty blue recliner, uh, I, I say that because there was one in my house growing up. 
my mom, who's actually in the room here today. Every morning I'd wake up, a lot of times stumbling out of my room, and I've told you guys this before. And she would be knelt down at this blue rocking recliner thing in her pajamas, house is dark, and there was my mom with her Bible and her Jesus. It's not just instruction, but it's revelation. And as you open up the word of God, it, that, that's not just a handbook. That's not just good advice. That's not just uh, a self-help book that you would pick off the shelf at a Barnes & Noble or something that Oprah recommended to you. <clears throat> it is God revealing himself to his people, opening the eyes of the blind and showing them who he is. Faith is believing the word of God. But here's, here's the kicker on it, guys. It's believing the word of God to obedience, to full obedience. This is where a lot of the church misses it. We say we have faith. We say we believe. But yet my life is no different than my unbelieving neighbors. I might swear just a little bit less. Just a little bit less. But my faith, my believing, my trust in the one who is unseen also then comes to a full, full steam, a full zeal for obeying that word. Makes me think of James chapter 2. You guys know this. Again, please don't check out on me because you know this, but allow the Holy Spirit to drive this into your life to, uh, for us to evaluate our faith in believing in him. It says in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? And this is telling right here. This lines up beautifully with Hebrews chapter 11. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, "Go," uh, one of you says, "Go to them," uh, says to them, "Go in peace, be warmed and filled," without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone will say, "But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." That's. This just, let's just also reset that a little bit. That works there is not just like good deeds. This isn't just you go and shovel in your neighbor's sidewalk. This isn't just you going to rake some leaves for the elderly person around the corner. Like that works is just another word for obedience. God said it, I'm going to do it. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Okay, so you believe, right? Mental assent. It's just mental assent, but there's no action. There's no vibrance. There's no actual faith in you. The, the, the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? I'm kind of jumping the gun here because we're going to talk about Abraham probably next week. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Faith is that conviction and assurance that leads to action and obedience. 
It's that assurance and that confidence in God and his purpose, God and his love for you, God and his great reward of salvation that he's promised for you. Faith is that thing that controls and motivates the believer to endure, to keep believing, to keep obeying. And this is why I have a problem with calling Hebrews chapter 11 the hall of faith. Anybody heard that before? Who's heard that before? Hebrews 11, hall of faith, right? The great hall of faith. I have a hard time with that because it's a playoff of, right, the Hall of Fame. And when you think of Hall of Fame, what do you think of? You think of the elite. You think of the best of the best, right? A place that you'll never find my name, right? Doesn't matter what Hall of Fame. Doesn't matter if it's, if it's Canton in the NFL, right? We got Lombardi and Star and Favre and soon to be Jordan Love. Right? Come on, Jordan. I was a baseball player growing up. And I was pretty good, but I got cut from my high school team. I'm not going to show up in any baseball Hall of Fames. I'd love to go some data. But again, the Hall of Fame, doesn't matter which one, is a place of the elite, the best of the best, the ones who have contributed the most. So when we call Hebrews 11 the Hall of Faith, I can't stand it because we inevitably create some distance between us, ordinary men and women with ordinary lives and ordinary jobs and ordinary skills and these men and women in the scriptures. But remember, don't be offended, they sucked at times. Again, murderers, adulterers, prostitutes, liars and cheats, people who doubted God and laughed at God, that's who's in the hall of faith. But you know what they did? Do you know what made them extraordinary? They heard God's voice. They trusted God's voice. And they obeyed God's voice. That's it. That's what being a Christian is. I hear the voice of God. I have confidence and trust the voice of God. So much so that I obey the voice of God. And wherever he leads me, that's his to decide. If he leads me to a sea and that sea's going to part, praise God. If he calls me and leads me, he's not going to leave me. They were extraordinary because they heard God's voice and they obeyed God's voice. Everything they accomplished for God was just them simply saying yes. A big boat, a promised land, walking through those dried up seas, they didn't do any of it. God spoke, they believed it, they followed him in obedience. They said yes. We must put ourselves in the position of being led by God like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, like all of them, we must put ourselves in a position to hear the voice of God. 
Now, in general, we don't do this well. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about prayer, right? We are the most distracted generation in history. This right now, I will say, and I, I haven't lived before this generation. This is, but I feel like in, with confidence can say this is the hardest time in human history to pray because of this thing. Because we have this thing attached, like the fact that I was able to pull it out of my pocket like that, like quick draw, like it's my phone, right? And our Bible app is on there, but then we get the notification and ah, it's just ah. It's so hard for us to put ourselves in a position to hear the voice of God. And we have to, we have to. We have to hear his voice in his word. Again, that's his revelation to us. We have to hear his voice in prayer. That dialogue with our loving father, our father. When you pray, pray like this. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Come in this dialogue with our heavenly father. We need to hear his voice in prayer. And we need to hear his voice in community. This is the thing that the Lord has given us the church to build each other up. You have brothers and sisters and pastors and elders speaking into your life, helping you see and behold Christ, to hear his voice and to spur you on to live a life of obedience by faith. There's too many times where we look at this life and we count the cost, right? I've said this before. We have this little actuary in our brain, right? This little risk assessor, Right? So then there's a decision in front of us. There's, there's this opportunity in front of us. And like every decision you have in life is an opportunity to take a step in faith with God or to trust in yourself or to assess that risk and go, you know what? It's not worth it. Obedience is not worth it in this moment. The risk is too much. A lot of times we just sit there and we go, what is this decision going to cost me? I heard him speak through his word, yes. I heard him speak to me in prayer. I had brothers or sisters admonish me in the Lord, and I don't know if I can do it. It's just too hard. It's just too embarrassing. We count the cost, right? Maybe it's monetarily. Maybe it's status. Maybe what will others think of me? We count the cost of what it would take to walk in obedience at this moment. What it's going to cost to walk in faith in this moment, and tragically, oftentimes, we come to the conclusion It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. And and not, not just to accomplish great things for the Lord, but for us to persevere and preserve our souls. Like, that's what we're talking about here. It's faith or it's not. And without faith, we will not please God. And that's not just an attaboy and a pat on the back by him. That is heaven and hell talk. We think of the hall of faith. We think of this idea of faith and having great faith. Like it's this next level stuff. And it's not next level stuff. This is baseline essential stuff. We think it's the stuff of pastors and theologians and people with seminary degrees and a, and a dedication and a commitment beyond me. This is for Kishore out in India, planting churches. And so, yes, I'll throw some money in the plate. This isn't next-level greatness. Get that out of your head. Stop creating distance between you and these saints in the Scriptures. 
Stop creating distance between you and your obedience. This isn't next level stuff. This is essential baseline followership. This is baseline what it means to be saved. Let's read our text again. Hebrews 1, excuse me, 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 2, for by it the people of old, old receive their commendation. Real faith, real conviction, real deep assurance is attainable, folks. And it must be. Verse 2 says, and this is how the people of old, this is how Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, Sarah, on and on and on and on. This is how the people of old received their commendation. And as you read commendation, I don't want you to think, attaboy, that it's a pat on the back from God. Like, yeah, they were good, they were cool, they were saved, and then here's a, here's a nice little added on, attaboy. This isn't some five-star Google review. To be commended before the Lord is to be approved by him. Al Mohler's commentary on this is great. He spends a lot of time talking about there's, this, there, there's two options for us. It's either com- commendation, being commended by the Lord, or condemnation, not approved, destruction, eternity. When you tie it to Hebrews 6, man, when you get to the end of our passage here today, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. To please God, again, this is not just a pat on the back. It's not that you got it right today and you did a little extra and God is pleased with you. That's wrong. That's wrong thinking. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you are in Christ Jesus, by faith in Christ Jesus, he is pleased with you. We can be assured of that. We can have full confidence in that because he's pleased with you, because he's pleased with his son, as it says in Matthew 3. Heavens open up, dove comes down, lands on Jesus, and you hear from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. We put our faith in Christ. His righteousness is laid on us. He clothes us in himself, and he looks down on you in Christ Jesus by faith and says, that's my son, that's my daughter in whom I am well pleased. John Piper ties verses 1 and verses 6 together. When you read convictions of things not seen, right? Tie that into verse 6 where it says, you must believe that he exists. Again, not mental assent. He is. He is the I am. Right? We read earlier the demons believe that and they shudder. But man, we must believe by faith. Conviction of thing not, things not seen. Believe that he exists. And then you go assurance for things hoped for. And in verse 6 it says, rewards those who seek him. Right? That's our salvation. That's the thing that we hope for. So again, it's either commendation or condemnation. Go back and uh, read Hebrews chapter 10 really quick as we start to wrap up here. And hopefully bring it back home. 1032, it says, But recall the former days when you were enlightened, 
You endured hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. Okay, so he's outlining some of their, some of their persecution. They endured hard struggle with suffering, publicly exposed to reproach, affliction, partnering with those so treated. Verse 34 says, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plunder of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Excuse me. Verse 36. For you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, there's obedience. There's obedience. Done the will of God. You might receive what is promised. There's hope. That's the action and the obedience of faith. Done the will of God and received what is promised. There's our hope. Verse 37, for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, right, if he doesn't persevere, if he doesn't continue on in obedient faith, my soul has no pleasure in him. You cannot please God, right? That means condemned. That means lost. My soul has no pleasure in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Praise God. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. All of Hebrews and really all of the scriptures are trying to get people to be these type of Christians. Really all the Bible, man, that faith, that our faith is evidenced by perseverance and endurance. These Hebrew Christians under persecution, right, they're tempted to fall back. They're tempted to shrink away. They were under pressure to not persist in faith, to not believe the word of God, to not believe the Christ of God, to not obey and to follow through and live it out. They were under pressure to not persevere in faith. And so are you. Not the same way, probably. I don't think anyone was threatened with prison this week. You might not be under the pressure of persecution, but you are under the pressure of the American dream. Hear that again. You might not be under the pressure of persecution. But you are under the pressure of the American dream. You're under the pressure of whether you're going to live a radical life of service and obedience to God or whether you're going to merely pursue comforts and the treasures of this world. And it's a war. It is our war. It is the thing that is coming at us at a blitzkrieg. Always. It's our war here in affluent suburban America against an enemy who entices us with comfort and lies like did God really say can you really trust his word can you really love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you can you bless those who revile you can you love to your end even when and especially when he or she doesn't deserve it can you really live that way We might not be under the pressure of persecution. But we have a real enemy of our souls that wants to undermine your faith. 
And so much of the enemy's work is through enticement. It's through comfort. It's through lies. That he is not trustworthy, that when you would look at the situation and here's the opportunity to walk in faith and make a right and biblical decision and somehow in your way you've come to yourself and you've gone, you know what? It's just not worth it. Whatever lie you're believing, that you can't trust his word and walk in obedience and righteousness, there's something going on there where the enemy has got a grip on your mind. There's a lie that you are believing about God and his word and you're not trusting him. Our war against this real enemy enticing us with real comforts, lulling us to sleep. We will not persevere, maybe not because of persecution, because of spiritual lethargy and apathy and atrophy. Like I said, we've been lulled away from faith, from truly believing the word of God, from truly believing his goodness for us in such a way that there is a radical shift that we are wholeheartedly obeying, loving the will of God. So as we conclude, what about you in your context? What about me in my context? What about us in the context of Lake Country? Or how about even specifically in your own life? How do you live by faith? How do you persevere in faith? Is there a difference between you and your obedience to the word of God, your love for the word of God and the will of God versus you and your unbelieving neighbors? Have you cast your life upon it wholeheartedly? Have you put yourself in a position to hear his voice by spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, spending time in community and fellowship with other believers that are going to speak the word of God into your life? Have you placed yourself in that position to hear his voice? And have you said yes to that voice and allowed him to lead you? Just watch him lead you and guide you into our blessed hope. How do you parent well in the strength and the might of God? By faith. The answer is by faith. How do you have a good marriage? By faith. You love and trust the word of God, that the word of God will never let you down, even when your spouse has. How do you witness and share your faith with others? By faith. The assurance and the confidence in Christ Jesus, the one who is and the one who has, has spoken. God has spoken to us in a son. We share and witness, we share of that faith by faith in Christ.